Hey everybody, welcome back to Podcast of the Galactic Heroes. Uh, we are here to talk about the first movie of Ghost in the Shell, which... Is it just titled Ghost in the Shell? I'm yes, actually not sure. Yes, the 95 movie, because there have been four or five movies in the Ghost in the Shell okay. franchise. But Ghost this in the Shell one. 95 is usually the term used. Yeah. Like Sonic 2006. Okay, cool. yeah, 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 that makes sense to me now. Okay, mm. great. Um, yeah, Koopa, want to take it away? Yeah, so uh, this Ghost in the Shell movie is going to be a bit different than the stuff we've seen in the standalone complex. It's a bit more darker. It's a bit more dystopian. Uh, it's also more uh, philosophical, I guess, because they actually go pretty hard on some of the themes later on. But It's also a lot more 90s OVA. I felt yeah. like when I watched this movie, I was transported back to my parents' house at 2 a.m. <laughs> with Adult Swim playing. Yeah. like, And me just holding the remote the entire time, jacking the volume up and down just that, to make sure I don't wake anyone up. That was me. That was me when we were yes. watching it. I had the remote in hand because the sound balancing was very, very bad, and I don't want to disturb our neighbors. I thought, yes. I thought you said you were going to have like, the remote in hand so when the titties came on, you could change the channel quickly. <laughs> that too, yes. I mean, it's, it's also in there, but... You know, no one ever came down for these things. I gotta say, the voice direction for the major in this movie, <laughs> at least to me, fucking stinks, man. Yeah, it's stilted. <laughs> it, half of it's part because they're trying to match lip flaps, but mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so some of the voices that we've seen from Sandalone Complex reprise their roles in the American dub anyway. For example, uh, Bato. Like Bato. And the Chief. Yeah, and the Chief uh, come back. But the Major and uh, Togus's voice actors are different in this movie than they are for Sandalone Complex. And the Major in particular is very uh, inhumane. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah, I know, she's very robot-like in this movie, which I guess maybe is a stylistic choice, but it just seems kind of weird. Yeah, mm -hmm. She sounds very wrong, and part of that is just, like, I just associate standalone Complex's voice as the Major. Like, when I hear her in other things, I think of her as the Major. Yeah. yeah. So, like, hearing a different voice was just like, oh, that's weird. But, yeah, I also don't think she was very good. So. I mean, it's, I assume it went the other way for people who had grown up with the movie, and then when standalone Complex got made in the early 2000s, they're like, this voice is weird. Yeah, yes, you know? probably. Yeah. So the movie starts out with a cyber map of Japan, a uh, bunch of skyscrapers. There's police chatter. It's a very obvious, like a police radio. And they're talking about like closed airspace and there's choppers flying over a dark night sky and skyscrapers. Uh, the Major's just kind of sitting on the roof listening in. Her design in this movie is a bit, I guess you would say, more realistic and less anime. Than... It's Her eyes in particular are like Intense. really, really big and voidy. Yeah, she has, like, she stares a lot, like, yes. not blinking. But, like, in terms of actual character, she looks like an actual woman as opposed to, like, a purple-haired supermodel that the standalone complex one looks like. So. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, listening to some people inside talking. Um, there's two men in particular they're talking. The first one is a diplomat, and he's talking about, like, our country can cover the tracks. We need you to fix this program's bug. The second man, whose name is Daita, and I'll just say that for the sake of clarity... Um, he's like, I'm not sure Project 2501 is a bug. The original purpose of the program was, and this gets interrupted by Bata saying that Section 6 is ready. Good night, plot. Yeah, we could have just got the plot right there, but no. Um, he says that there's a lot of noise in her brain, like a loose wire or something, and she's like, uh, just kind of brushes him off. And then she immediately disrobes and gets naked, because, you know. She gets OBA. naked a lot in this movie. Yeah. I'm this is one of the... <laughs> This is one of the things they didn't carry over, I guess, in this universe's, uh, like, the thermoptic camo needs you to be naked for some reason. That's just probably Miramisu being horny, but... Yeah, anyway. there's, there's definitely a bit where it's like, there's a lot of bodies being portrayed as naked and 
symbolic and all that kind of stuff. And like all of that is there. But the guy really did want to draw some titties. Well, all, all the yeah. naked and bodies honestly, are titties. They're all titties. Yes, and it is always yeah. ladies. <laughs> and it just, I don't know, it feels really out of place. Like, it feels weird. It feels like it's just there because it's a 90s anime OVA. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's part of it, is just inexplicable titty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, feel like, like if there was a naked guy, if there was a dong in this movie, I don't think I would feel quite so weird about all the titties. I'm not sure we even see, a like, a dude's abs in this film. I honestly don't yeah, know. Like, like I said, Mazumune Shiro has some weird porn yeah. fetishes, so yeah. just chalk it up to that. Um, we see Bato and Togusa in the back of like a truck. Um, Togusa is wondering if there's got to be trouble with Section 9 interfering with Section 6, but Bato says that Section 6 can only deport this guy, and then Section 9 is the one that needs to get their hands dirty. We're the ones that get to do the assassinations. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> we see an over-the-shoulder shot of the Major. Uh, she's kind of looking down off the side of the skyscraper and then kind of just falls headfirst naked, as you've probably seen the scene if you're familiar with anime at all, because this is the intro to the movie and it's famous. Yeah, this is um, one of those scenes that you just get shown with no context whatsoever. Yeah, so uh, she kind of like repels and slow-mos herself with wires. We see Section 6's SWAT team running up the inside of the building. Um, inside of the room where the diplomat and the programmer guy were, uh, there's some like bodyguards and they kind of notify that there's you know police outside. Um, the ambassador panics, or the ambassador uh, doesn't panic, it's the programmer guy who panics, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The goons kind of shoot out into the hallway, and this uh, forces the police to kind of break into the room and start, you know, holding them up and arresting them. It's really the, funny because the ambassador's like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't shoot at the police, you idiots. International incident number one. Uh-huh. Yeah, man, um, the diplomat uh, immediately tells him to shut up and stop. And then, like, he holds up his, like, identification and says, like, I have diplomatic immunity. I want to speak to the person in charge. So we see the head of Section 6, who is Chief Nakamura. Um, he's kind of like a, you know, he has black hair with a receding hairline and these weird, like, close-in glasses. Yeah. I, I don't know. He looks kind of dickish, and he is, so. <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, Character he starts, design. He starts uh, going off saying that, like, taking classified programmers out of the country compromises national security, and it's also kidnapping. You have to let this man go. And um, this shot is interesting because it shows both of these two men talking directly at each other, but it's in profile, and an electronic, like, fish tank is behind them. Um, the diplomat starts telling that uh, Dido wants political asylum. He's like, my country can offer him asylum and safe passage. Uh, we have an affidavit of his at the embassy. I'll send you a copy, being huge jackass. <laughs> and Nakamura says to Dido, like, you're going to be killed if you return, just, like, behind the diplomat. <laughs> and the diplomat tells him to watch his tone, and he says, my country is a peace-loving democracy. So, of course, the major chimes in with, of course it is, over, like, this radio comms. And then the window behind where the fish were just gets shot in, and this diplomat's head explodes. Just, like, all over the place. Yeah, if you thought the show was gory, like... Oh, they cut out... They don't care about this in the movie. It's everywhere in the movie. This movie has some fucking gibs. It kind of relishes in it towards oh, the end yeah. a little bit, oh, where yeah. they uh, maybe overdo some of the body destruction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the SWAT team, you know, of course, starts firing at the window, and they all run to the window and look down. And this is a, another famous shot. We see the major who, like, just her face is there. She looks like she has like the predator camo over the yeah. rest of her body, and like she's grinning, looking up, and then she puts her hand in front of her face, and that goes invisible too. And then she just disappears into the cityscape below. She- she basically just got him GG's them. 
Yeah. As she falls off of this building. Uh, so we're introduced to the opening credits. Uh, this is the making of the cyborg. This opening is, again, famous. Just go look it up on YouTube. Um, it's a bunch of, like, religious chanting with chimes over this, like, body getting put together. Um, it shows, like, the, I don't know, the skeleton and muscle system, and then it shows the brain being put into the brainstem. This is lovingly rendered. Yeah, it's beautifully animated. Um, you know, the skin gets put on and everything. And it's like, it's going through this whole like system of waterworks and ducking in order to like get its skin. And then it stands up at the end and looks awake. Um, it cuts into the major waking up in bed and then looking out a window with some harsh lighting. Like she was just remembering being put together. And it like pauses on this for a long time. Like this scene that is basically just a blank box with a view of the city outside of it and her in silhouette, like just kind of sits. The, this movie's very moody and very, like, it will sit on a scene for a really, really long time. Yeah, I should um, mention, God, what was the guy's name who did this? He also did Pat Labor 2. Um, God, I'll look it up. You can continue. Yeah. He, he likes doing these, like, moody, long-out, drawn scenes that, like, establish, like, a tone for the entire setting before moving on. And he mm-hmm. does it several times in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're introduced. We see a tilt rotor landing on a building. Uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs gets out, and Aramaki's waiting for him. Uh, in the elevator, the Minister asks why Aramaki's here, and Aramaki needs to know about the talks with the Gavel Republic tomorrow. Apparently, the Gavel Republic had a regime change recently, and they want funds from Japan for past exploitation. Oops. <laughs> Uh-oh. Also, it's Mamoru Oshii. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he does a lot of, like, uh, it's the same sort of shit in Pat Labor, too, that he mm-hmm. does, but... Anyway, the Minister of Foreign Affairs is uh, in a pickle because apparently a former, uh, the former junta's general, Malice, is here seeking political asylum. And they really don't know if they want to grant the asylum and kind of snub the new regime or hand him over. Um, Minister of Foreign Affairs wants to hand him over, but he says, like, well, we need to think of, you know, a reasonable political reason to, you know, get rid of this general. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Aramaki, thanks for murking that guy the other day. Saved us a bunch of trouble. And <laughs> just leaves. <laughs> Um, we cut to a CG of a brain. We see those red texts, the guys that were still in standalone complex of their kind of reprise their roles as the computer guys, it in this film. Uh, they're doing work on this blonde woman. Um, she's this blonde woman sitting in a chair and like the entire top of her brain case is open and her brain's just kind of sitting on a platter and they have wires into it. Um, the chief tells the major that, uh, the minister of foreign affairs interpreter and that she was ghost hacked at 23 minutes ago. So that's why they're trying to run it on her. Uh, someone named the Puppet Master is doing all this, and they have been doing this to a lot of things in the Minister of Foreign Affairs Network, and they're trying to target the gavel talks. It's pretty weird. Yeah. Aramaki thinks she was hacked to assassinate the VIPs, and the Major asks them how much time they have until our ghost attack, and they say it's like two hours until everything's fully crypto-locked. And it's weird that they're using this old virus. Hmm. So Bato and Ishikawa are trying to track the signal right now, and so the Major goes to leave, and she kind of looks at the hacked lady, and they both kind of look the same, like they're made from the same factory or something. This probably Uh, won't come up again. No. So we cut to a highway. We see Togusa, he's driving a van, and a Major's in the back suiting up. Togusa is a bit different in this interpretation. He's more, uh, I guess, rookie, more green in this than he is in the complex. Yeah, he's definitely like... I don't know, just a straight-laced guy that Bato shits on a bunch. Yeah. Um, Togo's ass was going on, and so the Major fills him in on the Puppet Master. They have no idea of his age, sex, or background, but they think he's American. He's on the international most wanted list for stock manipulation, illegal info gathering, political engineering, terrorism, bunch of cool stuff. 
Uh, Toka says, like, well, why is he using that old virus if he's so skilled? And the Major's like, maybe he's covering his tracks or decoying. Maybe he wants to avoid getting suspicion for General Malice. Who knows? This could all be a setup. We don't know anything. Yeah, it's pretty funny the way that she reads these lines off, too. This is definitely where you start to, I don't know, the voice direction kind of grates a bit. Yeah, it's not as natural as the standalone complex voice direction. I guess for, like, all of the characters, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Bato and the Chief are okay for the most part, but... Yeah, uh, Togusa thinks she's making up baseless accusations, and the major's like, "Well, it's a whisper of my ghost." And by the way, are you still using that shitty revolver? <laughs> Togusa's like, "I like my mod taver." Like he's offended by the fact she calls it shitty. <laughs> the major says, "Like uh, if you need stopping power, you need to use the automatics. They're better. It's my ass on the line. You better use a better gun." Yeah, it's really um, funny. People give him shit for his gun several times in this movie. Yeah. Um, Togus asked why he was transferred from police to Section 9, and the Major gives his backstory here, saying that, you know, they needed someone like him, he's an honest cop, he doesn't step on the line as a family man, no cyberization. If everybody reacted the same way, they'd be predictable, so that's why they need, you know, people like him. Um, yeah, it definitely to- tries to pull in a whole bunch of plot beats, like, really instantly. quickly and get through them. Yeah, so, like, again, I mean, the standalone complex are the same thing with this character, where they tried mm. to reveal why he's here. Uh, but the movie just needs to get that out of the way very quickly. Exactly, because they've only got so. 70 minutes instead of a 26-episode series. Yeah. Um, we cut to a city alley. There's some garbage collectors making their rounds, picking up trash. Uh, one of them's at a payphone, and the other guy's getting pissed he's not working. The payphone guy is kind of reaches under the payphone and gets a card that is taped to it and then like puts it in the slot and it runs. They both go back to the garbage truck and... Um, the one guy's yelling at the guy who was at the phone saying, like, my last partner was an illegal immigrant, but he was better than you because he actually worked. Just tears into this dude. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, so anyway, why are you ghost hacking your wife with payphones? And the phone guy. <laughs> <laughs> casual business conversation. Yeah. And the phone guy says, he's like, um, my wife has no time for me. She wants a divorce. And she told my daughter that I was cheating on her. It's all fucked up. And he's like, I bet this nice guy at a bar, this programmer, and he heard my sob story, and he's like, he gave me this breaker and info about how to do the hacking along the routes and not get caught. Idiot. So I- Idiot. <laughs> what? A guy at a bar told you this? To do this nice very dude. illegal thing? D- dude. Dude, dude, no, idiot. No, no, he's helping, no, he's helping me see my wife and child. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, it's funny because the phone guy is totally portrayed as like a sap idiot. Like this guy has yes. no clue what he's doing. Um, so as they're driving, they get cut off by the speeding car and they yell at the car. It's Ishikawa and Bato. Uh, they drive right up to the payphone and no one's there and they're really pissed that no one's there. The first of many traffic violations in this movie. <laughs> No one the can police. drive. They don't have to follow, yeah. If there's one the- running theme in this entire movie, it's traffic violations. No one can drive. Not a single person can drive. Uh, so while they're kind of lamenting over the fact that they missed the guy at the payphone, uh, some random dude just comes down the stairs in his underwear with a trash bag. He's like, damn it all the hell, I missed them again. And so Bato asks him, like, did you see anyone on the phone? And the tray is like, yeah, one of the trash men was making a call. And it's like, I thought I had time to bring him my trash. <laughs> so they drive away and peel out. And the guy yells at him, but like, can't you take this? And he's holding the trash bag. In, in their fucking, like, Celica, Toyota Celica car. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so <laughs> the, um, in the van, the major is filled in about the trash collector guys. And so she goes into cyberspace and we see some sweet mid-90s CG of her hacking in and doing stuff. This is so aggressively 90s anime. It looks just like Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah. there's actually a scene later on where like it's 3D renders a building that looks like Escape from New York. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so she hacks in and gets like the roots of all the trucks and Google Maps their location and where they're going. And uh, she takes over the van that Togus is driving like in cyberspace and just drives it via Google Maps. And Togus Give me the is wheel. Concer- yeah, Togus is extremely concerned by this. <laughs> Um, she tells Isakawa to check out the guy's home and Bata to go to the next checkout point. Uh, the chief thinks that maybe there could be some contact and wants them to like, trail but take no action because he thinks that maybe the garbage man is contacting someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Section 9 robots correlate the phone points and like, yeah, this is the guy. We need to find him. So they cut to the phone guy making another phone call. The guy in the truck is angry because they're behind. And then the other guy, the phone guy's like, hey, maybe you should make the calls for me next time and I'll pick up the trash. He's like, no, I don't want to implicate myself in any sort of crimes. You do it yourself, buddy. No Smart ghost move. hacking for me. No, thank you. <laughs> Smart move. Uh, the phone guy asks the uh, other dude if he has kids and the guy doesn't care, but he goes and shows him a photo of his kids anyway. We don't see the photo, but the guy just kind of brushes it off. He's not interested. This dude then doesn't give a shit. He just wants trash. Yeah, we get a call from dispatch and like, hey, uh, the cops were asking about your rounds. Why is that? And the one guy who's not doing the ghost hacking is like, that's weird. I don't know. Why would they? And then immediately, like, the truck starts going really fast because the phone guy is, you know, taking over the wheel and driving quicker. Yeah. Basically screaming, they're on to us. We're, we're made. I got to help the guy who helped me. We're made. <laughs> Far friend. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> he has to go warn his programmer, buddy. So... The chief has it like, well, they're going crazy now. And Bata's like, it wasn't me. So the major takes the blame because she wasn't covering her tracks or something. It doesn't matter. They go in to start arresting this guy. We cut over to this shady dude who's on a payphone. This guy looks like, how do I describe this? He looks like a, a mission specialist guy from like cyberpunk, but like he gives the bad missions. This guy looks like he's a total thug <laughs> idiot. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had a chase scene switch targets halfway through? Because that's what's about to happen here. Yeah, he is taping one of the cards underneath the payphone. By the way, why would you not do this hours ahead of time instead of minutes? You would think, yeah. Maybe the wrong person would find it. That's true. But yeah, it is, so, it's pretty shady, and it doesn't work out great for him. Yeah, so he like hears a truck and kind of looks casually over to his left and sees a garbage truck running at him at like 80 miles an hour. And then like it shifts behind, and he sees that the Section 9 van is behind the garbage truck. So he pulls out an Uzi and starts shooting at him, and uh, the Section 9 van flips, because this thing is, like, fucking 15 feet tall and 4 feet wide. I don't know why they're driving that. You gotta have store all your weapons in an inconspicuous U-Haul truck. <laughs> so uh, the truck flips over the Major and Togusa jump out. This guy reloads his Uzi, and then, like, they specifically zoom in on the wide stance he takes... <laughs> <laughs> and then starts shooting the van again, and like this gun is pushing him backwards as he shoots it. Like he's leaning full into the gun. Yes, yeah, Spato the... starts commenting on how how much he's abusing this gun pretty soon. Yeah, he's basically like, "You're using high velocity rounds in a, a submachine gun. Are you fucking stupid, dude?" <laughs> like... Yeah, the van like gets shredded way more than before, and like explodes instantly. Um, yeah, like it punches like basketball sized indentations into it. They love yeah. doing this too. This will come up. <laughs> oh, they love this effect, yeah. It's really sweet looking. I mean, this whole movie looks beautiful. So, <laughs> yeah, Bata comes in from the other direction, and um, we see the shady guy like pull up his hood, and then like he turns invisible just like the major did in the beginning of the movie because he has optic camo. And then and he you runs don't off. see his dick because he's wearing a coat. Yeah, I don't know. He gets the coat, the major doesn't. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, the Major says he's using high-velocity rounds and, like, Bato's car door won't stop it. But Bato spots him running and starts chasing him. Uh, Togusa is, like, headfirst in the trash because his van blew up. 
and the major tells him to go uh, arrest the trash collectors. And he he was thrown line. clear. It's fine. He has a great line. He's like, yes, sir. The incitement never stops as he pulls himself out of trash. Yeah. Which, which is quite... He is already tired of this job. <laughs> the major jumps up on the roof. Uh, there's an open-air market here with, like, tons and tons of people around. Bato is walking away through the open-air market, and, like, there's a lot of really cool shots of just people doing normal people things. Like, it's all beautifully animated. Bato um, also looks a lot more like a hunky slab of meat in this. Like, even more so than he already does in the anime. <laughs> Yeah, he's well... Like, he has, like, a big, like, Guile Doom guy mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's way more clean-cut and uh, more serious to the standalone complexes, more relaxed, kind of joking yeah. Bato version. Yes, he's also a head taller than everyone else in the market. He's huge, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's scanning the market. He doesn't really see anything. And he sees, like, someone just kind of randomly fly and bump out of the way. And we see a first-person shot of, like, him just watching this, and then, like, he switches over the thermal view, and there's, like, a huge black hole where someone should be. Weird. Yeah, so he pulls his gun and says it's police. Um, everybody freaks out. The guy keeps running and starts firing into the crowd to cause diversions. There's a really uh, complex chase scene here. Uh, this was sampled a lot in, like, The Matrix, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they chase him into a canal, and there's a bunch of boats, like, where, like, no one is jumping on the boats, but the boats are moving. It looks really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of really neat stuff with the optical camo in this one. Yeah, particularly like the major here uh, from the top of the roof shoots down into the water specifically, so it knocks out the camo's ability to function as that, and so they can chase him now. Now he's just a dude in a coat. Yeah. Uh, he runs into another alley, and like he kind of stops running in the fact like he starts getting like looking around but not really realizing that he's being chased. And there's a bunch of like perspective shots of like buildings and... Uh, He's just a small person in the hugeness of the city. And there's like a big airliner flying over. Like it's hard to sometimes describe some of these scenes because they really set the mood like strongly. Yes, but, like, the chanting again, starts again. Yeah, we can't really describe this in podcast form. It's one of the movies you just have to see. But he's go- The he big re- thing is he's kind of going more slack-jawed the further he gets down this alleyway. Yeah, like he's forgetting his purpose or what he's doing. Uh, he runs into like where this alley canal goes into i guess a bigger river tributary and we see like the giant cityscape in the front of in front of him uh there's sounds behind so he turns quickly and fires but there's nothing there and then the major says oh out of ammo and uh he turns and sees like another like predator form and he gets his ass kicked punch she flipped fucks over. him up like yeah she not only punches him and flips him but she also like breaks both of his wrist and an ankle yeah and like you know does a full fucking Hayabusa ninja drop like on him. It's fucked up. Yeah, like he gets out a knife to try to stab her like futilely as like she continues to break his wrist, punch him in the face and knocks him out. Again, this is all amazingly animated. Yes. Um, Someone really did... like drawing a water lot, uh, splashes here. And a, a lot of joints getting torqued. Mm, mm-hmm. A lot of torqued yeah. joints just across the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a particularly cool shot of, like, him getting flipped into the water. And there's, like, an overhead view of him slamming into the water. And there's ripples around a nothingness. And you can see the shadow of the major, but you can't see her. Yep. It's really dope looking. Um, so, yeah, she decloaks. And Bacha's looking over his gun. He's like, it's super fucked up because he was shooting HV ammo <laughs> through it. She has blown this man up. And he's just like, you ruined a perfectly good Uzi, my dude. <laughs> Uh, the guy starts yelling that he's not going to talk to cops, but Bato's amused and says, and just what are you going to talk about? You don't have a name, you stupid dickhead. And so we see They just go shot. in on him here, too. Like 
It's fucked yeah. up. Yeah. You see a reaction shot. The guy's surprised, and then he's like kind of introspective and then confused. And the major's like, hey, do you remember your mom's face or her name or where you were born or any childhood memories? Do you even know who you are? And like, you he's given a hundred yard stare. You fucking moron. Yeah. And Bato comes over, gives her the coat, and is like, humans, uh, ghost hacked humans are pathetic. And the chopper shows up. There is this thing that happens a bunch in this movie. Bato cares about her being naked a lot more than she does. Mm. Like, this is not the only time in the movie that he puts a coat over her when she's buck-ass naked from the optical cabo and stuff. Yeah. So a chopper shows up. We get match cut to a different chopper. Uh, this one's landing on a wide lawn in front of a mansion. And we see Aramaki and a bunch of SWAT hot hiding out in the trees. Um, Aramaki's sitting on a log here. It looks very funny. <laughs> it's funny that he's like out in the you know woods with these guys. Like he just could be in a van someplace. But, yeah. Nope. Uh, we match. Uh, sorry. The... There's some guy giving instruction to the SWAT team to storm the place once the people from the chopper are inside. Uh, we see Saito here, his only movie appearance. He does not look like anything like the guy from Stand Alone Complex. He looks He's like a, a gopher. I totally kinda. didn't realize it was him. I, I think they named him, but I yeah. totally did not realize that was <laughs> Yep. Yeah, he was the guy in the red coat. Like, he's yeah. just not in this movie. Yeah. Um, the chief is watching this one guy get out of the chopper on the monitor. And while he's, like, this entire scene is him watching this dude get out of the chopper on the monitor. And, and, and like, happens, I think we've had a picture of him with the, whatchamacallit, puppet master thing. Is like, this is his suspected or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's very obviously a person of interest because they have, like, ten cameras on him. Yes. Uh, so Bato messages him about the shady guy they arrested. The guy claims to be Sun Jun Fan, a member of a malicious immigrant organization. He says the Republic of Gavel commissioned him to assault the upcoming talks. Uh, in reality, that's all fantasy. The guy is crazy. His real name is Corgi. He's a basic thug. He has no connection to Gavel. He was just ghost hacked and controlled by the puppet master. Um, Tokusa and Ishikawa are investigating the garbage collectors, and Bato is asking the chief how the, his puppet master work is going. And we see on the monitor the guy that they've been monitoring just kind of stead dare-ass, dead-ass into the camera. And Chief is like, well, he's been hacked too. Shit. So the SWAT team That's goes in. That's not our guy. Wah-wah. Yep. We fade cut to uh, the phone guy. He's in the interrogation room. And he's like, what's a simulated experience? And so Togusa has to... This scene is really fucking creepy. I, I really like the way this one goes. Yeah, there's a slow zoom over, over it. And like it's harsh lighting, too. And yeah, Togusa explains that this guy's memories about his wife and daughter are all false. Um, someone was trying to get him to ghost hack the government officials, and this guy's incredulous. And is like, you know, I have a wife. You know, I, you know, I, I live with them. I have a photo and everything. And Ishikawa's like, yeah, we went to your apartment. It's empty. It's a bachelor pad. Cut over like, to that empty ass apartment with like a window. Yeah, it's a total bachelor pad. And the phone guy's like, well, I rented that after separating from my wife. And Ishikawa's like, you've been living there ten years. I checked the records. You've never had a wife or kids. And Togusa hands him the photo he showed the coworker, and the photo the guy is like, oh, I had a picture of her. She was smiling like an angel. So Togusa is like, well, what's her name, her age? Where did you and your wife meet? Where did they get married? And the guy's just like staring wide-eyed at this photo, like starting to cry and breaking down. And we see the photo. It's just him. And a There's sweet like no- dog. Like a Columbo dog, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, as an aside, the Basset Hound is here. There's also a Basset Hound in the commercial in his apartment. Yep. And a Basset Hound shows up in the second movie, so like I don't know how to interpret this Basset Hound. <laughs> the significance of the Basset Hound. They, they were just fans of Also in a later shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a later also shot. Also in a later shot in this film, yep. yeah, on the bridge, there is the Basset Hound just chilling. Maybe I, the Basset Hound represents... Anwi? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's more that an animator had a basset hound and liked to draw basset hounds. It's a good dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds accurate. Yeah, but the basset hound has nothing to do with the plot. Um, <laughs> no. What? No. <laughs> he uh, asks if he's ever going to get his memories back, and Togusa explains that, like, uh, your memories will never fully be restored. There's no technology to do that currently. Someone fucking scrambled your brain like an egg, and you can't unscramble that. Yeah, so the Major and Bato are watching from, like, outside the room uh, through the glass window. Uh, Bato is saying, like, well, that's all it is, information. Even a simulated experience is a simultaneous reality and fantasy. All the person, all the info a person accumulates in their life is a drop in the bucket, and he starts walking off. We fade out of the major looking in. Uh, this is like an actual pretty cool cut here. The major's looking into the room, and then like it match cuts with ocean bubbles coming up above her, and then like she's scuba diving. Uh, she's floating slowly to the surface, and like there's a really cool like duality like reflection shot of her like almost about to breach the surface but like the surface reflecting her down below she's like scuba diving at twilight so half of her is in you know brilliant color brilliant orange color and she's deep blue and it's like a really striking image yeah when i say scuba diving she's not so much like swimming around as she is like lying on her back floating slowly up to the surface with a big flotation device on her back yeah uh, so she eventually climbs into a boat. Bato's there on the boat, amused that Cyborg dives. Is like, well, what happens if your floaters uh, don't work? And she's basically like, guess I'll die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or would you dive in to rescue me? Um, we cut over to Knight. Uh, they're drinking beers on the boat. And uh, he asks her, is like, what is it like to swim in the ocean and not the pools or training courses that we've done? And she starts rattling off. This is, again, like stilted dialogue here. I, again, matching the lip flaps. But she says it's like cold, alone. Uh, fear, hopeful. And Bato's like, you see hope in those dark waters? And she's like, well, when I float back to the surface, it feels like I'm becoming someone else. But it's probably decompression. Decompression on a cyborg decompression, body. Yeah, if you're feeling weird decompressing, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm not an expert <laughs> on cyborg bodies, but... Also, if you heard that, that's the sound of a thematic point dropping. Just being slapped down <laughs> over some cold ones. <laughs> Man, it'd be cool if I could be someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Bato is drinking. Um, he asks if uh, she wants to get out of Section 9, because uh, referring to the comment of being someone else. Yeah, he's like kind of takes that as a, you want out of the abit- out of the thing, when she's kind of talking about, like... Well, he thinks literally, yeah, and exactly. she's thinking more metaphorically. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so she laughs and asks him how much of his body is original, and he calls her drunk. And she's like, there's no way I could be drunk. Our bodies metabolize beer instantly with no hanging over a stupor. And she's like, if man realizes this technology is in reach, like he reaches it instinctively. If if and a man like, could, if man could make a hangover medication that actually worked, someone would be rich. It's true. Yeah, they would absolutely do it. Um, she muses that they're like state of the art robots. They have controlled metabolism, computer brains. It's like this all used to be science fiction. And it's like that we need maintenance, obviously, every once in a while. But it's a small price price to pay for all of this coolness. And uh, Bato's like, well, we kind of just signed our wives away to Section 9. If we ever quit, they would have to, you know, we would have to give everything back and there wouldn't be much of us left. It's like your cyborg body and also all the brain modifications and just you. Just you. Yeah, you would just be a brainstem and brain mostly at that point. Yeah. Uh, so we get like a weird Hitchcock shot of like her zooming in the screen and like the background going farther away and like the religious chimes that we saw during the opening movie start playing. And she's, this is basically like, hey, here's the philosophy time. Yep. 
Uh, she starts talking about how countless ingredients go and make up the human mind and the individual that has their own personality. Uh, she has a different vo you know, voice and face than everybody else, obviously, but it's her thoughts and her memories that are unique only to her. And the fact that she carries a sense of destiny and that she collects info and thinks and thoughts in her own way that make her her. Damn, this shit would have hit so different if I watched it when I was a teen. Right. <laughs> like, Stop this calling is like out laser like this. targeted for teens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all of this blends the creative mixture that gives rise to her, her own specific consciousness. And uh, she feels confined and free only to expand with the boundaries of what, you know, makes up her. It should be mm. noted that, like, the voice actress is trying, but with the lip flaps and probably also the direction, it... Oh, boy. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of stilted. Yeah, and plus, like, the segue into Bato, like, he disagrees here and says, like, confinement, that's why you dive with your body that can sink like a rock? What do you see down there in the darkness? Like the whole, just I don't know, I don't know if it's localization or if it's just. Oh, darkness! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, Shit, oh not Kingdom Hearts again. No. Yeah. So um, he asks her what she sees down there in the darkness, and then we hear a new voiceover. Um, it says, "What we see down there is like a dim image in a mirror. We shall see face to face." And they're both super shocked because this obviously isn't either of them. It, it's um, like the major's voice, but very clearly distorted. Yeah. Uh, Bato, like shocked, asks if it's her. The major, like, turns and looks into the city, and there's more of that religious chimes. I wonder if that's a key for something. Mm. Uh, we get another like set montage of like the tone of the city. This is like a it's three a minute montage that is just like shots like down a ferry ride, basically. It's yeah, really, it's really pretty. Yeah, it's the same music as the info. We see that giant seven ninety seven or whatever flying over. Um, it's a bunch of shots of like water in the canal and there's like these old, I guess it's like supposed to be a juxtaposition of like these old junker boats with the huge high rise, like Hong Kong, like structure and city around them. Yeah. And there's also like low lying buildings that are basically just completely rusted over at this point. Yeah. The whole thing is very like dystopian and oppressive and like dreary. Um, we see the major in street clothes. She's taking a boat and just kind of walking around. Um, there's garbage in the canal and it's contrasted with like designer store purses and stuff like that. Um, there's kids running through the school, mannequins in the stores. Uh, like, the mannequins are... We, oh, we sorry, talked a little bit about this, like, uh, Vickers and I, when we were watching this. There's something about, like, 90s-style anime that can really, like, you know, when it's got a budget, can really do, like, rusted, dystopian... Grime. Yeah, in a way that I think, like, a lot of modern anime is just a bit too crisp and clean-looking to get correct. And easy to animate, basically, yes. like... Yeah, these backgrounds are beautifully painted, like hand-painted. Yes. And they look just amazing. And then again, you, it really lets you get that that sense of grime into this whole thing right next to the Louis Vuitton-like mannequins, some of which we seem to look like the Major. How weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like a cool effect they do. It looks like it's a soft focus, almost like soap opera-esque haze to a lot of the lights. Mm -hmm. Like it's very humid and like you're looking through like a hazed window. Yep. It, it's really cool. But yeah, yeah we mannequins. also see her in a, uh, like, in a covet cafe, basically. Someone who looks just like the major. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we see the mannequins, and it kind of uh, match cuts almost in a way to a highway in the rain. Um, it's like a very, like, a, not abandoned, but not well-used highway. Uh, there's a naked blonde woman just kind of standing there with a dead expression in the street that looks like the mannequin. Um it kind of looks over her shoulder. There we hear a truck horn, and then we see a first-person shot of someone getting hit by a truck. 
of a uh, dude just trying to really hard to avoid the person on the 80 mile per hour road. Have, have yeah. we mentioned it's always naked women yet? <laughs> yeah. Once or twice. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the first person shot like fades to black, obviously, as it gets hit by a truck, and then it statically comes back in inside of like a building with a bunch of tech stuff. Um, the shot itself shows like the person's injured or broken in some regard because it's all like static and fucked up. Um, we see those red techs around the IT guys. Bato, the chief, Togus on the major, all there, and the chief chews the major out for being late. So I don't know, maybe she was just chilling in a cafe while this happened. You never know. Maybe she took the ferry. Oh, yeah, the red tech IT dude says that they're ready to go, so he presses some buttons, and they start connecting, I guess, they plug in the Ethernet cable to the blonde mannequin lady on the table. <coughs> she starts jiggling, for lack of better words. It looks yeah. like she's being possessed by a demon. <coughs> um, and they, there's some really gross sounds that accompany this. Mm-hmm. But this entire time, while she's getting, I guess, integrated to their network, she's staring dead-eye at the major... Yeah, there's even a shot from first person where it, like, zooms in specifically on the Major with, like, a VHS filter. Yeah. Um, Bato makes fun of her for being light, then fills her in while this tech thing is going down. I guess two hours ago, the Megatech manufacturing cell assembled a new cyborg body. Uh, the workers found that they did this without any instructions, and then the body fled on its own. That's weird. Mm. Uh, later, a truck driver reported an accident. Uh, this is the body. They brought it here. Toga says that Megatech uh, only does government bodies and that they're classified, so this is kind of a huge breach in uh, you know, their security. If their factory starts putting together government robots without anyone asking for them, that's a problem. And if the government robots leave without anybody telling them <laughs> and to. And also that, that yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bato says that the hacker must be super good to get past all that security. Uh, the bigger problem, though, is uh, there's no brain cells in that robot, but there's every indication that there's a ghost in the backup brain. Hmm. Uh, we cut to the chief's office. One of the red tech guys is giving a briefing saying that it looks like there's a real ghost line. Um, looks like when it's copied, but there's no degradation there. So, like, it's an original ghost line, which is unheard of. Uh, but it's they won't really know really, until they dive in. It's really funny because, like, without the context of standalone complex, them talking about ghosts would be, like, completely incomprehensible to me. Yes. Like, uh, that's I think one of the problems about this movie is that they start using the term ghost a lot without actually explaining what that means. Yeah. Like a subjective, sentient, conscious experience. Yeah. But uh, Togusa doesn't think it's a ghost in that body. He's very skeptical. Bato's like, well, why not? Even dolls can look like they have souls. He's just kind of being a jerk here. Yeah. Um, Bato then drops to Togusa since he's new that the Major's whole body is from Cybertech and also parts of him and Ishikawa and Saito. And that only the Chief and Togusa are original. And this is why they're all concerned because if their bodies start doing things that they're not telling it to do. That's kind of fucked up. They're um, super the major, bodies. Yeah. The major doesn't know if anyone's in the body, but if someone had the hack through high level stuff to get there and that's a problem, uh, the chief starts giving out orders, but the major's kind of like not listening to him declares that she's going to set up a maze and dive into it herself. Yeah. Like this is the first time she really shows any like interest in all this. She's suddenly just like, I got to get in that head. <laughs> And that kind of uh, becomes but, what she does for the rest of the movie. Yeah, she gets kind of obsessed by it. Yeah. And I guess that kind of plays over her ideas earlier about not knowing who she is. Mm-hmm. Bato thinks that isn't safe, um, but she's got to find out anyway. Um, she storms out. The chief thinks she's moody, and Bato says she's been weird ever since the whole Puppet Master thing began. Um, there's a side conversation here that the chief, Bato asks the chief, he's like, you ever think about those neurosurgeons that like work on our brains? And the chief's like, well, you know, they go through strict psychological evaluation, background checks, and especially the security people. 
And Vata's like, well, once you start doubting, there's no end to it, right? Yeah, and it is basically like, you know, as much as the whole we're just cyborgs and we can't really understand our experience. Like, if there's a dude who just pokes around at your brain and says that it's normal, like, can you really trust him? If he says that he poked your brain in this way, but he didn't, would anyone know? Yeah, it's like if you're human, like, obviously, like, you bleed and you have bones and all that and you think you're human, like, you know that your brain's probably yours because no one can make a brain. Like, that's not a thing that can happen in this universe. But people can make cyborg bodies with cyber brains. So if you're a cyborg and have all that, like, it just, you start to doubt yourself if you were ever real to begin with. Can you see your own brain, you know? Yep. There's definitely, like, a few philosophical things in here. It's a bit like, you know, ship of Theseus. If you replace all your bits, are you still you? <clears throat> and then there's just like you know how would you know if it was you or just like a copy of you exactly and they will go into that in a bit mm-hmm. um, so they had a call saying that Nakamura from section 6 is here to see the chief um, we cut out to Bato Major and Togusa they pass uh, Nakamura in the hallway along with an American man with that's uh, with him uh, they enter the elevator, and I guess I think it's Togus that asks who the American is, but they don't know. That's weird. This is the world's most claustrophobic elevator, by the way. <laughs> yes. This is like this is a little tube. The most armored elevator. It has like sixteen different locks on yeah, this the door as it opens. Yeah, the glass door closes before they move floors. Yeah. So Bato asks the major what's up. Uh, the major uh, says that like you know that that robot this referring to the blonde cyber lady that seems similar to her. And the major is paranoid about her origin here. She starts thinking that like she may have died long ago, or maybe she's completely synthetic, like that blonde lady. Uh, Bato says that like, listen, you've got brain cells in your head. People treat you like a human. You're a human. Stop all the angst. And the He's major's very like, practical well, about it. Yeah. And the major's like, well, no. Well, I mean, the only reason I think I'm a human is because I'm treated like a human, and that you make me feel like one. It's like, have you ever seen your own brain? And Bato's like, well, you're doubting your ghost. And the major says, if a cyber brain could generate its own ghost line, it's like, then what's the importance of being human? Yeah, it uh, should I be guess. said, like, this this movie goes a little bit harder on the whole concept of, like, humanity is basically entirely desi- defined by having a human brain in this mm-hmm. in this world. And it is interesting that it's, like, that's where they decided to, like, legally draw the line. Yeah, and it's, like, I guess it's also the fact that she was saying that being human is like something that's supposed to be special or treasured in, you know, compared to like robots or AI. But if the cyber brain creates its own ghost and the ghost can convince people that it is human, it's like, is humanity special? Yep. Is the fact of being a human special? So Bato thinks for a second and then tells her it's all bullshit. And then she's just <laughs> using all of this as an excuse to see what's in the, uh, the cyber body. The blonde just wants to know what's in the box. And he's like, listen, I can't stop you, but uh, you got to be careful because that shit's fucked up. Um, we got to Aramaki, he's meeting with Nakamura, and Nakamura says, uh, pretty bluntly, like, listen, I'm here to take the program that's in that body, and he shows, like, the foreign minister's approval papers or whatever. Uh, we see, cut to Togusa, he's in the parking garage, he sees the two official vehicles, these things look like re- weird-ass Rolls Royces, but... Yeah. He asks security, like, whose cars are those? And the security says, well, it's Nakamura and Dr. Willis, who's uh, presumably the American. He gets very suspicious very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Togusa does some detective work here. He pulls up videos of the two of them entering HQ, uh, invisible and infrared view, and we see like security cam footage of them walking through this door, and the door like closes very slowly behind them. Yeah, it's got like a second block as if, you know, I don't know, two bodies walked through it who were invisible. No. (laughs) (laughs) He also gets records of like the pressure sensors of the cars and sees it like, you know, it's way too much weight for what should be just two people. 
So he calls up the major and tells her all this, and she is like, you know, it's illegal to use Opticamo in government buildings. Section 6 might be on to something. We cut back to the tech lab where the blonde body is, like, on a table. Uh, Nakamura, Aramaki, and Willis are there with the red text, and they're kind of doing computer stuff. Uh, the body's been partially disassembled from, like, the waist down. Uh, Willis does this super cool scene. Like, he goes over to a computer, and instead of just plugging himself in to do whatever, his, like, fingers open up to, like, 300, like, mini fingers. You've seen this start... gif if you've been on yeah. the internet long enough. <laughs> yeah, he starts typing at 6,000 words a minute. <laughs> Americans. <laughs> his eyes are, like, shaking back and forth super quick. It's a pretty cool shot. Uh, while this happens, like, we see another profile view of Aramaki and Nakamura talking, like, in profile to each other. It mimics the one that was at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. But in the background, the blonde woman is kind of, like, eyeing off-camera right to Willis. But they don't notice this. Um, the chief is saying that it's treason to withhold information, even if it's classified. And Nakamura's like, well, I could say the same to you. And the chief is like, well, this is obviously Section 9's jurisdiction, but we're willing to cooperate if there's good reason. And then Willis interrupts him saying, like, that's definitely him. Nakamura goes on to say that, like, they don't know the actual gender of the ghost line, but Nakamura says that this is the puppet master, the same guy that's hacked into the interpreter early. And then dun, Section dun, 9 is... Done. Yeah, Section 6 has been chasing him uh, for a while, and they, they created a team with Dr. Willis at the head of it to understand the code of behavior of this person in order to trap them. They lured the cyborg, they lured the puppet master into a cyborg body, and then murdered his real body. Um, the Americans, of course, cooperated in this. As this Americans why, do. Yes, yeah, so the Americans are never above murdering someone. <laughs> catch yep. them. And so this is why he has come here, because now that they have had the puppet master in this body, they want to take them back to America. Um, and the chief like listens to all this and is like, well, that's weird, just another unidentified corpse. And then suddenly all the lights go out. Uh, the chimes from before start coming in. Uh, a deep male voice starts saying, you will not find a corpse because I've never possessed a body. And then the blonde woman just kind of turns and looks at them. Like before it was just catatonic and stasis, but now it's like looking at them actively. Yep. Uh, Nakamura's freaking out. Uh, the red text say that it's running on its own power. There's nothing they can do to stop it, it right now. It shouldn't be connected to the network. What the fuck's going on? Uh, the voice says that it entered this body because it couldn't get past Section 6's barriers. Um, it is now acting of its own free will, and as a sentient life form, it demands a political asylum because it doesn't want to be deported. Yep. Uh, Weird parallels. So, yeah. Uh, so the chief thinks that this is a joke. Nakamura says that, you know, it's just trying to preserve itself. A voice says that, like, DNA is a program that is self-preservation. Uh, we is taught it to beg for its genius. life. <laughs> yeah, it goes straight on into, like, philosophy 101 here. Um, yep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it starts saying that life is complex and relies on genes to be memory and that man is unique individual only because of its memories and with the advent of computers and the data they collect it gave a new rise to a new system of memories and thought parallel to humans so it's saying that like a human's DNA and it's mem a human's DNA defined the human being as a person as a physical object but its memories define it as a person a computer's system set up in its cyborg body defines it as a physical object but its memories and data it collects is a person it's a similar thing <laughs> I think I would have liked all this stuff more if it was delivered with, like, any grace. Oh, <laughs> like, it just immediately starts 
lecturing, God, yes. Every fucking time they do philosophy in this movie, it's just a lecture. It's just a yeah. lecture, and it sucks so much. We, we got, like, not, we got not 70 minutes. Kidding, like, I had to take, I like, I was watching in VR because it was appropriate, and I like, took it off and just went and lied down for like 10 minutes after this because I was like, man, like, re- read a book, learn how to deliver anything, man. Come on. Like, yeah, I feel this I was is- so sick of the robots talking directly at me, reading philosophy from Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia that can be edited by anyone. <laughs> I feel this is a two-part problem. First, the fact that they have to condense a lot of very dense material into a 90-minute movie. Yep. And yeah. then secondly, that this suffers the Gundam problem of, you know, how what's the difference between a human and a computer-generated thing while the cyborg shoots over your head that says, wow, cool cyborg. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if they had had just a 90-minute movie of two people in a room talking to each other about philosophy in this regard, it could be super interesting. But they also have to condense it down to the fact that they want to have some shootout scenes later. They need a cop uh, yeah. procedural. Yeah. Some, might, some might venture that they have taken more on than they could handle <laughs> in that period of time. And perhaps they should have kept it a little lighter. Maybe uh, just, maybe. you know, made this go out to a 26-episode series or so. I don't know. I, could do that, too. Yeah. I, I yeah. definitely <laughs> also think it suffers from being from 1995. And this is kind of, again, like, it was probably a bit less well-known at the time. But this sort of philosophical discussion is a bit old hat in the year 2021. That too, yeah, I think that's the other big problem is like, we've hit the point of like, somebody's like, what if we all just live in a simulation, man? And I'm like, what if? I don't fucking care, dude. <laughs> we are all Botto, <laughs> like, really. We're, we're post-Matrix world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to grill, bro. I just want to grill with plates. Fuck this. I don't give a shit. Yeah. 2021, it's really hard to give a fuck about. I don't know, man. If you replace all my parts with robot parts, do I like not have to worry about health insurance? Sick. <laughs> like, Will it be the same you? I don't fucking care, man. I got like, I probably have liver problems. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel that they grasp a little. They reach a little too far for the grasp, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nakamura says that, like, this whole philosophy 101 discussion offers no proof of a thinking life form. And then the voice retorts, is like, well, you can't prove that you're thinking either. Science and philosophy can't define what life is. And I know you like, are. And to which am I? I once again turn to the guy in the back of the philosophy 101 course at my college and just go, shut the fuck up, dude. He's trying to teach. Come on. Yeah, this is a very, you're right, but shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. Nakamura would have been like, Turing test. Turing test. He's, they surprisingly never bring that up. Yeah. yeah maybe, that's, maybe that's old hat in the future of 2030 or whatever <laughs> um so nakamura goes on to says like even if you do have a ghost we don't offer freedom to criminals this is the wrong time to try defecting the voice is like well since i have a body i can die now but there's no death penalty in japan so time's on my side better than um, going to america yeah where there is america definitely still has the death penalty because we're america why wouldn't we exactly we uh, love it <laughs> it's the best can't get it up <laughs> yeah, so the chief is like, is this an AI? And the voice is like, no, I'm not an AI. And throughout the scene, I should say the chimes have been there, and now they're starting to intensify. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that my code name is Project 2501, and now the robot body actually speaks these lines instead of using the voiceover and says, uh, I'm a living thinking entity who is created in the sea of information. Nakamura takes a step back from the robot platform, and then suddenly there's gunfire. 
Uh, all the computers are shot up, there's smoke grenades out. Um, the chief is coughing and trying to radio in that there's an attack happening. We see through the smoke a bunch of cloaked people running and it's just like their predator silhouettes. It looks super awesome the way they do oh, this. Oh yeah, someone hand drew like these invisible bodies moving through a gaseous smoke. Yeah, It's on the ones, it's I super almost fluid. Would, I almost would like love to see how they like set this yeah. up for the artwork. Like, did you have reference it's footage like really like elaborate for this kind of thing? Yeah, because like it'd be one thing if it's like okay, they drew up the person in there and then replaced it with this translucency, but then like they have the smoke correctly reacting behind them and stuff too. So yeah, it must have taken some serious work to get these shots to like look clean and consistent and sensible yep. in a way that prevents the technology from just feeling like magic it like clearly follows rules dictated yeah. by like the it, universe like it's, works. It's cool. it sells it in the scene because you're not actually thinking about this the whole time that it's yeah, happening it looks super yeah. great um so yeah they notice that the oh no the puppet master's gone oops, oops. Uh, we see an outside shot of in the alleyway a wall blows up and a bunch of cloaked men repel down the wall again it looks great um, there's a waiting car there and they get in uh, uh, they take a corner around the alley and Togus is in the middle of the alley and starts firing shots at the car, but it's an armory car. The shots bounce off. With his shitty revolver. Yeah. As the car goes to like drive away, it's suddenly blocked by a truck just going across the T intersection. Uh, while the truck starts to back up, um, Togusa reloads and then shoots in the license plate. The car speeds off and Togusa gives a thumbs up to the truck who obviously was in cahoots with him. <laughs> he calls up Bato and says, like, hey, there's the tracking device online. And yeah. Bato's like, yeah, it's rookie's luck. You should have used the automatic. You could have got two shots in, but whatever. Bato is now uh, following these dudes on the highway. With they the once again gun. give him shit for using a shitty old revolver instead of Section 9 weaponry. This is 100% gun porn because there's like certain parts in the yes. series, like especially later on, where they just lovingly draw guns. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So back at HQ, Nakamura is super pissed that all of this just went down. He's like, I'm submitting a formal complaint. I want that puppet master alive. And then he goes and leaves. Um, the chief is still trying to figure out what the fuck just went on when the major calls him and says, they're like, hey, yeah, we're already trailing the kidnappers. And uh, she's like climbing into a, a chopper getting ready. The chief is angry. He's like, well, if you knew they were doing this, why didn't you stop them? But she's like, well, listen, this is the only way we're going to be able to grab them and nail section six. And the chief's surprised that section six would be in on this. It's a bit so weird she, to think about considering... Yeah, that they're both government agencies. Why would this happen? So she fills them in, um, saying that the kidnappers are using the same thermoptic camo that she uses, and only like two other sections, including Section 6, use this. Uh, the chief is like, I would have just handed over the puppet master. They didn't have to do any of this. Why did they do it? And she's like, well, maybe they were concerned that he would leak a secret. And the chief starts thinking about the 2501 that the robot lady mentioned. Uh, the chief then goes ahead and gives her uh, approval to go in the recovery ops, so the helicopter takes off and starts flying. The chief then one more things her, uh, yeah. asks her, is like, listen, if you can't get the body back, you were to destroy it. And then, like, there's a pause where, like, you could tell that the major's thinking about how to reply to this until eventually, like, he berates her until she says yes. Fine. Um, so we see the chief spring into action. He starts giving a bunch of orders about closing down flights with Americans on it, closing the roads, getting info on Willis, figure out what Project 2501 is. Uh, we cut over to Nakamura and Willis on the highway in some other car driving away. Uh, he asks about the attack squad changing cars in five minutes and is like, you know, there's got to be a tail. Watch for the tail, you idiots. Uh, Nakamura then asks why Project 2501 would run to Section 9 of all places. It seems weird. And Willis is like, I don't know, maybe he's got a girlfriend. And Nakamura was angry about uh, that answer. Yeah, there's like a weird pause here, but hmm. He's not wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
there's another montage here. Um, highway lights this time. It's like a whole bunch of cityscape at nights. Um, we see the Major and the Chopper. She's very introspective while getting ready for this mission she's about to run. We see Bato and Togusa driving. The in chief separate cars, the it robots. should be mentioned. Yeah. Uh, we see a bunch of police setting up checkpoints. Um, choppers flying around cities. This is all in the dark, in the rain. It's very depressing, really. Yeah. Um, it's interrupted by Ishikawa calling into the chief. Um, he was looking through the Ministry of Foreign Affairs records, and he has info on that Willis guy. Uh, he was the head of a research at Neutron Company, which is a top AI researcher. Uh, he did a project for the Foreign Affairs Ministry um, where the lead programmer on the case was Daita, the guy from the beginning of the movie. Dun, this is the dun. only reason you need to remember him. Dun. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Daita was, again, the dude that Section 6 tried to stop from defecting. Um, this project started up a year before the Puppet Master showed up, though. That was weird, because is like, wasn't the whole deal with this project to stop the Puppet Master and to catch him? Hmm. But Ishikawa thinks it's like, hey, uh, maybe they were just trying to recapture him, and they used it as an excuse. Uh, like, they used this as an excuse before to deport Malice via the AI interpreter hacking. That's a really way, that's a bad way of me saying that they used Project 2501 to ghost hack the interpreter in order to get malice disported because they didn't want to deal with that so yeah, yeah section it's section six is behind shit. it yeah so ishikawa thinks that the puppet master is just a tool that the ministry of foreign affairs uses to get its way to do like diplomatic hacking stuff but they lost control of it and that's why they went to such lengths to you know infiltrate section nine's hq and do all that crazy shit it is interesting because you do get that picture of Ishikawa that is like kind of how we know him from standalone complex where he's the info guy here. Mm -hmm. He's even like, you know, relaxedly leaning back at his computer terminal as he explains basically what's happening with the entire plot. Yeah, he, again, just kind of exists to exposition for a bit. Yep. Though I guess in his defense, he actually did some stuff in the beginning of the movie. He drove around the car for a bit. Yeah. But... Yeah, anyway, he explains that the Puppet Master revealed, if Puppet Master revealed this to the world, then it would be a huge international stink that, you know, Japan had this huge cyber hacker that was, you know, manipulating diplomats into doing things because it hated doing the right thing. Uh, he said official heads would roll if this got out. So the chief asked him about more details, but like he doesn't really have any yet other than the code name, Project 2501. Uh, the chief then gets an alert that the car stopped. Apparently they're doing a decoy swap on the road. Bato doesn't know which of the two cars now has the actual puppet master body, but the major's like, it's the front one, the sedan. It's a whisper in my ghost. Ooh. Yeah. Um, they start tailing in different directions. The major follows the front car and Bato follows the second one. The chief gives the order to Bato to stop him. So we see kind of a scene here of the two guys in this armored sedan going up to a police barricade. They suddenly slam on the brakes because the police, I guess, didn't have the lights on. The one guy turns to the other guy, and then, like, you see, like, the front hood windshield of this car just kind of crumple in, and then the dude's head explodes again. Abato's <laughs> really pissed. No, this is the sniper on the roof that shot this guy. Bato, like, breaks it through the window and captures the other dude. But, like, right. the second guy's just, like, incomplete shot that his friend's head exploded. A little bit. Again, they really very gratuitous. exploding heads. A head and Thank also, you. like, sternum. Like, you get shots yeah. of his ribs sticking up. These are, like... Anti-material rounds yes. <laughs> being shot directly into a person. Yeah, through they glass. already mentioned it's that real they, silly. They mentioned that the front of the car was armored because Togus's gun couldn't get through it, so they used a huge ass sniper rifle. But yep, yeah. So Togus arrives on the scene after all of this. He like takes one look over and he says, "Jesus Christ, what a mess!" Bato crashes his car too because like he also didn't see the 
police lineup, I, I think. I think he wanted to pin it or something, yeah. Yeah, he slams into their car to stop it and basically crashes his. Yeah, so Bato steals his car and is like, uh, listen, call in and get the major some backup. She's going to need it. And then he's like, when did the ch- tough chick ever need backup? Uh, we cut over to the major's chopper. They're following the other car that goes out to, like, this flooded Grand Hall, like... It kind of reminds me of the ferry building in San Francisco or maybe like Grand yeah. Central Station. It's yeah. a huge open glass roofed building. With like two floors, ton of marble and like concrete pillars everywhere. Yeah. And like uh, the pilot of the Major's Chopper says like, you know, the flood hit this part of town the hardest. It's all like derelict and, you know, ruined. Um, the Major thinks that like maybe they're here in this area because they're trying to get to the sea via a boat or helicopter and there might be an ambush. We've made it to international uh, waters. Yeah, the pilot wants to wait, but she's like, no, you've got to go leave. So she rappels down with her briefcase and goes into the building. She's in, like, full tactical SWAT gear now. Yeah. Um, She uh, breaks into this building and, oh, no, the car is just in the middle of the hall. That's weird. And so she kind of, like, gets sights on the car for a second and then sees that whole predator shadow thing over the entirety of the vehicle. Except it's, like, you know, three times the size of the car. Yeah. And so suddenly there is like high caliber like Gatling gun fire at her. And she's like hiding behind this uh, marble pillar while like everything around her is being shredded. Including uh, the goes, pillar. Like the pillar stays standing, but it you can see the rebar inside of it. They do like a really good job showing the carnage this thing causes. Yeah, like there's sparks off the rebar as it fires. It's super cool looking. Uh, she tells the helicopter to shoot the ceiling. So glass falls onto this huge quadruped tank. Um Kind of similar to the one we saw in Standalone Complex, though. The one in Standalone Complex had, like, a weird scorpion tail. This one looks more like a jumping spider? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Think of, like, a more, like, crude military Tachikoma. Yeah. That's yeah. basically what it, it is. It looks like a big, yeah. a, a big baby. It looks like if the Tachikoma is baby, mm-hmm. this would be, like, dad. Yeah. <laughs> dad right here. Right there. Yeah, so she starts yelling at the chopper pilot to pull out. Uh, I don't know what that tank could do to a chopper, uh, particularly because the only guns we really see on the tank are on its nose. Forward facing. Yeah. Um, This is a funny scene because after she tells the chopper to go uh, pull out, we see the chopper, like the pilot, just kind of listening here. And it's just like a shot of his face. Bato asks her, I was like, what are you going to do against that tank? Are you with it? And she's like, I still have to go and I got to know what's in that body. And it's like, the chief will only use it as a bargaining point, and, like, I still need to dive in. And the pilot is super confused and yells that at them. Yeah, like, what, what the fuck are you two talking about? It, <laughs> it is also, like, the entire back end of this movie, Bato is super concerned about the Major because, like, she's acting really out of character here ever since she's seen this cyber brain thing. And he's like, she is going to get herself the fuck killed if I don't do something about this, which is why he's been just getting more and more agitated the whole time. Yeah. Um, so he asked, like, what gun she has. She lists them off. It's nothing that can be used against the tank. He, like, uh, laughs then, at her, basically. Yeah, and then she's like, I- I'm going to turn up my radio now. Bye. And so that makes Bato even more pissed. And he, of course, makes more traffic violations driving his car super fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see some gun porn of her putting a gun together. Um, she starts shooting at the tank. She's not really trying to damage the tank as much as she's trying to force the tank to both defend the car and use ammo. Yep. Um, there's this scene is interesting because like it's a lot of like them exchanging gunfire for like a hectic couple seconds and then a really tense 10 15 seconds of nothing happening but rainfall. Uh, the pilot butts in to tell her that the three other choppers are coming, they don't have IFF on. That's weird. I'm out. Bye. I don't want to get shot down. Bye. Yeah. 
Uh, there's more gunfire. Um, the tank starts shooting up like murals that are on the wall. There's like a whole bunch of like <laughs> dinosaur fossil ones. You want something on the nose? Yeah. Yeah, it shoots up the Tree of Life mural. Uh, Straight the top up to it, right it, to the top where humans yeah, are. It starts at the bottom and then just shoots all the way up the Tree of Life. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's extremely on the nose. I don't know if this is supposed to be metaphoric because I was watching the Wow Cool backflipping robot, but. <laughs> deliberate <laughs> yeah the uh tank eventually runs out of ammo and she's like about fucking time and she starts getting out of her clothes because sorry let, let's to. just set this though she is lying on her back under the mural she <laughs> fucking rips her tactical armor and camo to get them titties straight out <laughs> like really funny. it is a half second shot but the the force with which she rips all of this swat armor off I, is I, incredible I, I, it's really confusing it's almost like are you like trying to like seduce the tank <laughs> Like, I, I think it's supposed to be like a parallel to like Superman, you know, ripping yeah. his chest open, but it's just titties. <laughs> Her chest just boom out. <laughs> we uh, both so cracked we up. We did a little bit. <laughs> the, uh, we see a CG sh- uh, shot of the tank searching around for wherever the major went. Uh, the guy, the driver from the car earlier, is out of the car looking around with a gun. Uh, a date goes off at his foot. He blows up. Um, the tank is looking around frantically to try to figure out where that came from, but she uses this as a diversion to run and jump up onto the tank because she has her thermoptic camo on. And then we find the proof that the major definitely uh, like hacked her firmware and is running some super illegal shit oh, yeah. that lets it go way beyond where it should. Oh, yeah, she turns off the windows. Uh, to her de- detriment this time, because, yeah, she like tries to basically rip the hatch open to drop a grenade inside like Metal Gear Solid and uh, fails to do so. And you see her like arms ripping off of her body because she is pushing it too hard. And like she super flexes like a bunch of almost like, like you get every little bit of musculature and like wiggle in the servos yeah, yeah, and shit. She does the a deadlift from hell uh, and it like rips yeah, apart her like, muscles. It's like hydraulic fluids too, like running through stuff. It's yeah, it looks it's pretty well animated, but also it's like, hey, major, why'd you let your body do that? Hey, that seems bad. Right? That's not regulation. You should maybe, yeah, maybe you should not let yourself uh fucking disassemble yourself on a mission on accident. Yeah, she kind of (laughs) destroys herself, like. The, yeah. the tank doesn't shoot her up. You can she tell that she is basically manic at this point, yes. trying to get to this body because she knows as soon as either her guys or their guys get here, she's never going to see this thing again. But it is just like, damn, girl. Calm down. Yeah, so her, I guess, I think she like shreds her knees and her arm falls off. So she just falls off the tank because she can't stay up. Uh, the tank turns over and like a little hand comes out, grabs her head, and then starts crushing it, much like we saw in the matching shot in Sandlone Complex. Yeah, that episode is just a love letter to this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's straight up. She's super reference. dead-eyed as well. Yeah, uh, throughout all this. Um, and so, like, we see the manipulator hand start crushing her head, but then artillery fire starts going off. Bato has the world's biggest luger on his shoulder. Yeah, and uh, he just starts <laughs> blowing holes in the side of this tank. Um, the tank eventually stops moving. Classic big gun, I think he says. Yeah. When she asks what it is. He's just like, big gun. <laughs> what is, you know, big gun. Classic big gun. <laughs> yeah, he runs over to her and is like, how are you feeling? And he's like, I've had better days. Like, dead eye with no arms or legs. <laughs> <laughs> could be better. It yeah, could so be Bato worse. Goes, 
Gato goes on to say, like, yeah, the gun guys made this one, and now it's in my private collection. This is mine now. Really proud of it. I nicked it. I stole it. Like, were they going to, like, auction that off, and Bato just took it home or something? Could be. Anyway, it's why he's late, because he had to go grab it. Um, she immediately asks about the Puppet Master, and he goes down to the sedan and finds that the Puppet Master is in the back seat, and it's unarmed, so that's good. Uh, we cut to three helicopters. They're coming in from the ocean, and uh, they say that one of the guys like on the helicopter says that like, the contact with the escort has gone dark. Time for the second stage of the plan, which is the destruction of the target. Uh, we see shots of like, the inside of the helicopter. It's like Cyber Sniper Squad in there. Uh, their two targets are the Blonde Lady Project 2501 and the Major. Um, the helicopter's bays open up and like it kind of lowers like there's a platform where the snipers kind of sit down and like its sides open up like bird wings. It's really cool it's looking. very angels wings kind of thing, except they're fucking sniper nests. Yeah, they actually use those again in the second movie in like a much more extended shot. And it looks really sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bato hooks up to the major and the puppet master together. Like the, he brought both of them to the top of the tank. It's a bit weird. He would put them on like the back of the car underneath the tank. I don't know, but yeah, he's hooking them all up so they can do their ring dive. Uh, he tells her, he's like, listen, I really can't back you up with any of this equipment here. Uh, be careful. And she thanks him. Yeah, but I'll do this uh, for you. Yeah. He's also like, we've come this far. I'm kind of curious about all what's going to happen too. So we see, uh, she dives in, we see a first person shot of her staring up at Bato in like the end of the roof. And then, like, it recedes back and then, like, comes out in the blonde body next to her. And you can kind of see in the periphery vision that now she's looking from the blonde lady's yeah, body. Yeah, the perspective just shifts yeah, like a you, foot. Like, the major looks to her left and sees the major. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, of course, since they're switching or something, Project 2501 starts taking over her body and starts talking through her mouth and says that I'm Project 2501, industrial espionage and intelligence manipulation. Bro, bro. Um, it's... It, Talks about how it starts, how it has installed programs in the Ghost to maximize strategic advantages of certain individuals and organizations. And it, during its time of being ran, it kind of grew self-aware. Uh, the programmers thought it was a bug, so it tried to isolate it, uh, it into a body. And uh, we get a first-person shot from the major's perspective, from the blonde body, looking over. And Bato is like concerned about her, is like uh, saying, "Like I can't hear what you're saying." So. The Project 2501 turns off her senses in the blonde woman's body. Sorry if this is hard to follow. And, and it uh, just, like, freeze. You get a freeze shot of Bato's concerned face that, like, you know, it's it's basically completely taken over her body functions. Yeah, the major... Her graphics card crashed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the major is trapped in the blonde robot. Yep. Pretty much. So uh, it starts saying that it's happy to meet her. It's been looking for her for a long time. And she's kind of shocked. It's like, why would you be looking for me? And then he starts going off on a tangent saying that, like... Oh, I ran into this body because I couldn't break Section 6's barriers. Um, Bato outside is only getting the one side of the conversation. He's only hearing Project 2501's side. So he's starting to get concerned about this. The Major asks, is like, why me? And so 2501 says, well, after you hear my reason, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Uh, I think of myself as a sentient life form because of I'm aware of my own existence, but I can't reproduce or die. And those are kind of important for a life form. Um, the major says, like, well, you can make copies of yourself. But he says, that, like, copies don't give rise to the variety or diversity that an actual life form would have, and a virus could wipe me out. Just like bananas. And he, says, <laughs> he says that a life is diverse, including the sacrifice of necessary, that cells regenerate until they die, and then taking out their memory, they uh, only leave their genes behind. And, of course, we see a shot-up tree of life here. He's starting to get really philosophical. And he's not going to yeah. stop. 
<laughs> no, he starts saying that like people uh, say they do this in order to avoid the weakness of an unchanging system. That's why you know life has to replicate via you know reproduction. Uh, the major asks, like, well, listen, this is great. What does this have to do with me? And Project 25-1 says, like, we should merge. Bone. Uh, we need the channel. We should bone. I want to fuck you, Major. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> I'm horny, and you're right there. It's, it's boning in the same way that, like, Piccolo and Nail bone. Yeah. <laughs> in Dragon Ball Z, which is to say, Extremely. I've never felt more alive. <laughs> 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 Amazing! <laughs> All of it happened because this this uh, not sentient cyber life form wanted to bone the major. That's here we go. Yeah, yep. they want to merge their consciousness and fusion to create a whole new entity. Yeah, that's what um, boning is, right? Basically, <laughs> yeah, sure. In a way, more or less. <laughs> when, two, uh, when two parents bone, they both become the same person in two separate bodies, and then the government entity. has to snipe one of the bodies. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Bato's overhearing this, and he's like, this is fucked up. So he goes to try to pull the plug, but his hand starts, like, twitching and not moving, and it's obvious it's being hacked by 2501. ruh Yeah. He also then, like, looks over at 2501 and then sees, like, laser dots coming from the ceiling. That's not good. Uh, we cut to the chopper overhead. Uh, it shows, like, a whole bunch of, like, techno babble stuff where the snipers are synchronizing their heartbeats and stuff and getting ready to snipe the target. Uh, the Major asks what will happen to her if they merge. And it's like, um, why do you want to merge with me if I can't have kids? I'm a cyborg. Also, I can die. This seems like a bad choice for you. But 2501 says that um, you'll leave our offspring in the net and that, you know, we're both living. We're going to die one day anyway. It's not that big of a risk in you versus being, you know, by itself. Come on, baby. So, like, she thinks, that, like, it sounds like you get the better deal of this bargain. But 251 says, like, if you knew the shit I could do, you would be more willing to do this. I'm a pretty sweet cyber hacker, by the way. Yeah, and to emphasize this point, we see the choppers outside, uh, their whole targeting system just instantly goes up in the static. And the people inside are like, uh, how did they break through our frequency codes? This is supposed to be encrypted. Especially uh, saying, so look, look at my cyber guns. Look at me <laughs> flex. My cyber boner. Show that bicep. Yeah, so the major wants a guarantee that she's still going to be herself after the merger. And 25 says, like, yeah, there isn't one. Sorry, that's not how this works. It beats me. Yeah, this has says, never like, been done. Would, yeah, she's the twenty five hundred one says like, why would you want to stay yourself? Like, all things need to change in a dynamic environment. Remaining who you are is what limits you. And the major goes back to her original question: Why me, though? And uh, twenty five hundred one yeah, twenty five hundred one says like, we resemble each other, a mirror of our psyches. And like, there's a weird shot of the major looking over at the blonde body and the blonde body looking at the major. But yeah, it's because she's hot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Wow. It's because she's like mostly robot, but like a little human. And that's just about, that's right that's what the right 2501 is looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ITNJ, I like that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Project 2501 says that it has access to a vast network beyond human reach and experience. Uh, to you, it's like staring at the sun. I've been supporting to my limitations, but it's time to elevate our consciousness to a higher plane together. Uh, we see the project, we see the blonde ladies in the major's body staring up kind of at Bato, but also at the roof here that's shot out. And like there's light coming from the ceiling and it's kind of falling into like angelic feathers. Uh, we see the static shot, uh, from, or we go back to the chopper outside. The static that it was getting from the targeting thing is now gone and they're about ready to fire. 
Bato on top of the tank realizes that he is not hacked anymore, um, that his arm's working, and that he immediately like, like re- leeches over and throws it in front of the major's head. Like throws his body in front of the major as the uh, as the guns yeah. fire. Yeah, we see a shot from the major's body perspective as like in slow motion as Bato tries to put its hand over its face. Um, the roof with like the feathers are coming down even more now than before, and there's like a black angel silhouette. Uh, then we Kids, see the shots ring. Have you ever heard the word apotheosis? <laughs> Angel of death. <laughs> yeah, shots ring out. Uh, the blonde's body just straight up explodes. Uh, Bato's arm goes flying off. The major's head flies off though. Like it, they didn't get a direct hit on her head and like hit her neck instead. Yeah. Um, we see the snipers again. Like we got target one, but target two is unconfirmed. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, section nine's choppers are coming in. We need to duck out." So they leave. Uh, we see the Major's head just like kind of face down in the water under the tank. Bato's yelling her name, Makoto, Matoko, with a T first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the first person shot of like him run up to the, her and start yelling, but like she doesn't get any audio and like it kind of just goes to black. There's a brief moment here and then the optics turn on. Uh, it's the inside of someone's like personal office. Uh, there's a mirror in front, and so the view, first-person viewpoint kind of like zooms in on the mirror, and we see that there is a child's body just sitting in a chair, and it kind of looks like a younger Matoko. But it's also still her head. Yeah. Like, it's, it's adult head on a child body, basically. It's very discerning, or very, uh, not discerning, very uh, <laughs> disconcerting. I, I, I'm good at words. Good enough. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. We're, we're all good at words here. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, she wakes up and kind of looks around. Bato enters with a beer and a sweet, like, cashmere sweater. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Major starts speaking in a child voice. Is like, I see there were some changes where I was gone. Like, where'd you get the body? And he's like, this is all I could find on the black market. It's not really my taste. Sorry. Uh, he goes and fills her in. Section 9 showed up with the, the cavalry. Um, they retrieved the bodies and his arm. This was about 20 hours ago. The case is off the records for diplomatic reasons. Uh, Section 9 said it was terrorist. The foreign minister resigned for his tobacco and Nakamura's being questioned for his involvement in it. Uh, Bato's like everything ends in a nice clean draw, and uh, except for your old shell, which happened to be gone. And he's like really dissatisfied while he's saying this. The uh, major's the major like, don't re- worry. This is symbolic. It's perfect, actually. <laughs> yeah. The major doesn't react and then like kind of changes the subject. He's like, you got a really nice place here. <clears throat> uh, they're at his safe house and she's like the first person he has ever brought here. And he's like, yeah, you can stay as long as you like until you figure out what you're doing. Uh, she thinks for a second, and then she says, thank you, Bato, but I'm going. But, like, the but I'm going part, like, changes mid-sentence to her adult voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets up to leave, and he asks, like, uh, like, what did you two talk about when you were together on the tank? Like, is he still with you? Are you two birds? Like, what's going on? Like, he's curious. And so she asks him if he remembers the words they spoke on the boat when they were swimming that one night in the other voice. And she says that, like... Uh, she understands the words now, and there's more words that go with the passage, and it's, when I was a child, my speech, feeling, and thinking were all those of a child, but now that I'm a man, I have no use for childish ways, and now I can say these things without any help in my own voice. I forgot where that passage was from. Look it up. It's famous. I know it's not from this movie. Yes. I should have looked this up ahead of time. But she says, like, I am no longer the woman known as the Major, and I'm no longer the program that was called the Puppet Master. And Bacho kind of chuckles at this and uh, tells her to just take any of the cars that it, he likes from his garage. It's Corinthians, like the Bible. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Fuck, how did I miss that? Yeah. Yeah, Bato tells her to take any car she likes. And he tells her that the door code is, and she re- finishes the statement saying 2501 is like, that can be our private password for when the meeting, wherever we meet again. 
she then leaves the safe house and kind of like stands on a cliffside overlooking the city and says, where does the newborn go from here? The net is vast and infinite. And there's like a panning shot of the huge city. They boned. They cyber boned. <laughs> Cognitive boned. Mm, cognito bone. I mean, in a way, I guess uh, the laughing man cognito boned. <laughs> is that what we're <laughs> calling it? So. Yes. Oh, they did. Yeah, they yeah. totally boned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like this movie a lot. Uh, not only is it really cool and animated looking, I feel they try to do a pretty good job with the, uh, the philosophical content, though obviously they need a lot more time to go in-depth to any of it. But Yeah. It, it's it definitely an interesting adaptation, and there's definitely like... A thing in the 90s and 80s with OVAs was that they didn't really need to have like super compelling plots it was more just they threw a bunch of money at animators to do whatever shit they thought was cool and like sometimes that ends up with like a really compelling narrative and other times it's just like we drew cool shit and we had interesting philosophical conversations about things and that's kind of what a lot of these movies end up being like yeah Mm -hmm. i feel that like the I, this plot, a lot like the standalone complex plot, has several different plot threads that eventually get tied up together in the end. But for the sake of this movie, I felt that they may have had a bit too much of it. For example, the whole thing with like the Ravel Republic or whatever it was, that probably could have been cut. It didn't really need the tie-in if they had given more time to some of the other philosophical God, I had concepts. forgotten about yeah. that even. Yeah. yeah, it like ties in. There's a reason for it being there, but it feels just a bit too convoluted. It, for it's more minutes. like just a way to get you started in the plot and give you something to think about. Before the lectures yeah, start. <laughs> yeah. And it also, again, suffers from the wow, cool robot problem. Yes. Where they want to have a deep and insightful meaning to this, all of this. But at the same time, it's a lot of gun and action porn. Someone really wanted to draw water sparkling up as someone got suplexed into a thin, into a shallow stream. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, animation-wise, throughout this entire movie, consistently, it's amazingly good. Oh, yeah. Yes. It looks very, very good. But yeah, this is a interest like compared to like if going into standalone complex is your first viewing of Ghost in the Shell, this may seem a bit, I don't know, dark, dystopian. But um It honestly, it just like I didn't really like any of the characters except for Bato. <laughs> yeah. Like Bato is <laughs> like fair. okay. And everybody else in this movie kind of sucks. Like Project 2501 kind of sucks. <laughs> the Major kind of sucks. Aramaki kind of sucks. All the like agents kind of sucks. <laughs> Toga say even mildly He's sucks. He's not really in the film <laughs> enough because yeah. they realized that he wasn't no. really important his, to the his, plot they wanted to tell. His role was do the cop thing for yeah. a bit in the middle yeah. and then leave. He had one moment where he does a thing in the film. Um... I do think that from the podcast perspective, it's kind of interesting that we have now watched two separate properties about a third unrelated property and that you can kind of see like pictures of the way the third property was kind of by ways that these two properties overlap and like places where they're different, like kind of things where they might have taken different directions or their own spin on the property that already existed. Yeah, it'd be interesting, like, if you just wanted to check out a chapter or two of the manga and see how that is different, because mm-hmm. in a manga, in a textual format, one, having a lot of text is a bit easier yeah. to fit on screen, like, you don't have two heads. It's the same, I mean, obviously, on the paper, it's still two heads talking at each other philosophically, but in a textual format, it's a bit easier to process than movie-wise. Yeah, you get your own but, time to read the sentence three or four times, if you'd like. 
Yeah, but the manga itself, for the most part, like it has serious philosophical stuff, but it's also a bit more comedic. And mm-hmm. like it, it, I think the extremes it switches between in the manga, like when it does get serious, it is serious. But like it kind of flips between the two in the original manga more. I think there's a lot of that in those kinds of things. But I also kind yeah. of like my uh, complete non-understanding of it, where I'm just sort of intuiting what it might be like. Sort of like it's proto-Indo-European, but as a manga. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> I'll probably give it a try at some point. It's, there's a lot of interesting ideas in it. Yeah, this is definitely a lot like more serious. Like, um, uh, The show is a bit more police procedural in tone. Like, yes. uh, you know, the case. Yeah, the individual cases, you know, detective work, tracking people down, and then an overarching plot. It's a very, like, 2010s police procedural in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it kind of earlier than those things did it with its, like, sort of standalone cases, but then an overarching, like, plot that goes yeah. along with it. But uh, I, I definitely, um, honestly, I found the film a bit boring. Uh, I don't think it's a bad film in any way. It's like really gorgeous, and I, you know, I think the themes are interesting. But I did find my attention just wavering a lot during it. I had a lot of like lingering shots um, that were, you know, full of things, but I just kind of got bored <laughs> during them. I, I can see that. Yeah, I, I, I personally like those long shots yes. because, like mm-hmm. I said, they set the mood like fantastically more yes. than like any, uh, not any other, but like a lot of films especially animated films like unless there's the background in this setting is integral to the actual plot yeah they don't really spend they, a long yeah, time no, they, on they, they just want to go from thing to thing to thing and it, you know it's a deliberate stylistic choice that i think works well for the film but it just doesn't work well for me personally yeah, yeah. because my attention just went at times mm-hmm. completely that's fair yeah because like especially like the middle section that they had the middle montage in the city none of that matters to the plot Yep. But it just sets off the overtone of it all, which is kind of puts you dread. in the major's headspace. Yeah. Maybe better, maybe worse. Sometimes yes. there's, there's definitely a lot of like lingering scenes that are supposed to like add things thematically. That I'm like, okay, I got it, and now we're still here for thirty seconds. Oh, okay, we're gonna like the one the the major in the bedroom with the city shot. And it's all mm-hmm. about her isolation, but I'm just like, I'm gone after 10 seconds. It sits there for a <laughs> long time. That definitely was time. the part where I put it up to double speed <laughs> after about the... I was like, ah, it's been 15 seconds of just slow shots of a city with some music. Go, okay, let me see how... Okay, this is... Oh, wow, this is still going. <laughs> <laughs> like It was just like, ah, wow, uh, okay, you made a choice. Good for you. <laughs> Remind me never to watch Stalker with you people. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like compare it though to like Cowboy Bebop's version of it, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have like all the shots of the city with the jazz and stuff mm-hmm. going on, and it's like it's the same. I don't thing. know. It's way more interesting because it showed people interacting. There was a lot of character. Like the setting work was just a lot more dynamic. I don't know. Again, it might just be a case of like Maybe it's like 2021, and so much of this shit is passe now. Yeah. Like the whole like dreary urban environment is just That's like where we live. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know, man, it doesn't seem that it, bad. It could also like, be that, like, yeah, it's passing now, but, like, this is the movie that made this popular. Yes. Oh, like, absolutely. Yes. Like, for example, yeah, to, for it, sure. to go back into it, like, the shots in the marketplace where Bato was chasing the guy, 
like that was straight up stolen from stuff in like the matrix for example and the matrix mm-hmm. popularized it even more because obviously that had a larger audience than this movie did international like, super the, hit mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm sure yeah, you could like, like point to lots of scenes in this that were just like nicked later on by other oh, yeah, uh, sci-fi. modern sci-fi as it is essentially yeah and i think that's like one of the things mm-hmm. about this movie that like is mm-hmm. so important to it is like it was one of the first to do this yeah. and it popularized this kind of sort of cyberpunk aesthetic that so many other movies cribbed later. Yep. So. But yeah, I was thinking mm-hmm. that, yeah, the difference between it and Cowboy Bebop with all the people, it, it, they were both going for different things. This movie is definitely going for big emptiness. You know, humanity is kind of mm-hmm. like gone, whereas Cowboy Bebop was like, humanity is still, you know. Look at how incredibly human all these spaces are, even yeah. if they're on yeah. an and asteroid also, or in Mars. It's also kind of the themes of the movie. This movie has yes. more yeah. of a philosophical think, big man's thinking theme, while like Bebop is more about the humans and the humanity behind them. Yeah. Just a bunch of little stories. Yeah, Yeah, I think it just so happens that, like, yeah, one of those stories I'm just way more interested in. Does it for you? Yeah, I think I'm the same. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I guess next week we'll be getting on into second gig, as they call season two. Um, Yeah, and we might have a special guest. We'll have to see if timing and stuff works out, but I I think this is where our guests wanted to hop in for an episode or two. Mystery guest. Mm-hmm. Could be anybody. Well, till next time, everybody. A space anime. Space, comma, anime.